Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. going through a series in Acts, and so we find ourselves in Acts chapter 4, but once again, I want to go back through the exact verse that is the foundation for this whole entire uh, book, and that verse is found in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and here it is. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the whole point of Acts. The whole point of Acts is receiving the Holy Spirit, understanding what God is doing, grabbing the power of the Holy Spirit and saying, okay, we're going to be God's witness absolutely everywhere. And that's exactly what happens in Acts chapter 4 today. And so we're going to do, uh, we're, we're going to go through that together. Um, but before we do that, um, I want to tell you a little bit of the story about growing up. Um, my dad was, uh, actually growing up, I consider myself what, uh, I was a PK. And if you don't know what a PK is, that's a pastor's kid. Um, if, for, if you don't also know what a, a PK is, in about 20 years of my life, I was a different PK. I was a plumber's kid. Um, and so uh, my dad plumbing, but was always in the church um, teaching classes and all that sort of stuff. And so my dad never missed an opportunity to teach us kids something. And so uh, he used to always use this phrase. And later on, when I got older, I found out that it was in Proverbs. Oh, yeah. Whew. My lungs were working. My dad would always used to say this verse, and I found out later it was in Proverbs. He would always say, the guilty flee before being pursued. The guilty flee before being pursued. And that would always happen to us when we would get in trouble, right? My dad would pull us aside and go, hey, uh, so do you want to tell the truth what's going on here? And I would, um, I would usually end up breaking. Man, I broke so many church windows, it's not even funny. Um, and so we, th- we threw a baseball through a window at church once. I was wrestling with a kid and my shoulder went through a window once. I was just, yeah, I cost my parents a lot of tithe. So anyway, uh, but uh, my dad would always say, what's going on? What happened? And I would go, it was, my, it was somebody else's fault. It was, it was James's fault. And my dad would be like, hey, the guilty flee before being pursued. Would you like to tell me the truth? And then this week I heard was listening to or being reminded of this song we sometimes sing. And it's, the song is called Rescue. And in the bridge of, the, of this song, it says, this world has nothing for me. I will follow you. This world has nothing for me. I will follow you. And when I was thinking about the idea that the guilty flee before being pursued, and this world has nothing for me, and I will just follow God, it, it almost changes our life completely differently. We start to realize that the truth is always going to be the foundation of everything we do. We're not afraid of what this world has to do to us because we know who God is. I mean, I also thought about this week of all the TV shows that would be ended in one season or in one episode if somebody would just tell the truth. 
right? You would have no more TV to watch if that person would just go, yeah, I, I killed him. Or, yep, I did that. Or, or uh, I was thinking of this week, like, there's a whole show called Pretty Little Liars based on the fact that they did something and they tried to lie and get their way out of things. Smallville was whole, the whole entire thing was based on Clark Kent trying to get people not to know that he was Superman. If he would have just said, hey, I'm Superman, it would have gone differently. Blind Spot, Blue Bloods, Blacklist, whatever show you seem to be watching right now, if they would just simply tell the truth, it would be over. The problem is, is that we want to carry on those things, right? We want to maybe have a little power because, you see, really, in a lie, we can maintain a little bit of who we are. If we tell the truth, maybe we'll get in trouble. If we tell the truth... Somebody looks differently upon us. If we tell the truth, it means that somebody else has power over us. You see, I think it's indicative of just this idea that we want to keep power on our side. And I, th- and I think that as we've been going through these four chapters, starting to realize that we, we don't really have any of the power. It's God's power that we want the people in our story today are trying to do just that, trying everything they can to keep the power in their corner. They try to use every bit of earthly power they can, forgetting that they're fighting against divine power. It never works, just to let you know, to try to have your own earthly wisdom and try to do everything on your own and completely forget about the divine power that God offers us. When we figure out that this world has nothing for us or on us, our lives become completely different. You see, earthly power is momentary gain. We try so hard to fix everything and lose sight of what God is doing around us. But divine power does not just so much look at our current circumstances and try to figure out how to get out of that but it's to look at what God's doing in all of our circumstances. It gives us courage to face the current circumstances for the glory of God. And that's the story today that we're gonna look at. Would you pray with me? God, would we look at our lives through the lens of your Holy Spirit? Would we be able to grab hold of the truth of who you are, would we align our hearts to you? Would we be filled filled with your Holy Spirit so that whenever trials or tribulations come, we don't say, woe is me. We look around and say, great is God. And how do we honor you? How do we glorify you? And God, that first comes with all the first chapters of this leading into this is the, the power of the Holy Spirit. So God, would you teach us and guide us into that truth? God, that we need you. That your son has paid the price for us so that we could have that very power in us. So God, open our hearts today. Speak, sweep out all the corners that need to be sweeped out. Bring things up in our hearts that need to be dealt with. Because this is why we're here. We're here to listen to you and to worship you. In your holy name we pray, amen.
Today is a bit different because if you look at the back of your bulletin, there are no sermon notes. Because I want to read this passage of scripture and just kind of tell it in story form as it unfolds and give you a little bit of context. And so here's the deal. I've never done this before, and it's very awkward for me to be able to do it this way. And so if you'll be, bear with me, uh, I think that this will be a little bit fun and, so, uh, and exciting. And you guys get to take your own notes and allow God to speak to you and allow his divine power to work in you. And so we're just going to break this section up, and it's mainly going to be on the screen for you guys. And if there's other verses that are on there, you can read ahead if you want to, um, but uh, just stick with me, all right? Here we go. We're going to start in Acts chapter 4. And so if you have your Bibles, flip open to Acts chapter 4. If you don't have them, guess what? It's right there. Okay, here we go. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. We are still on the story of the guy who is sitting out in front of the temple and being healed. We are still on this. This is just to let you know, and you might get like, come on now. This is the third week we've been on this story. And so the thing I love about this story is it comes to a culmination of this. When you have healing and when you have people saying, follow Jesus, you're always going to get some sort, some sort of lash, lash back, right? You're going to have people going, what's going on? You can't be doing this. I, it happened in Jesus' time. It's no different. It's going to happen now. And so we see right away that as John and Peter are speaking to these people, we have three sets of people that come to them. We have the priests, we have the temple guards, and we have the Sadducees. The priests, just to let you know, don't have a lot of power. They just are the people who keep on carrying out the Mosaic law. They're the ones that are slaughtering the animals for the people as they bring in. They're the ones that are trying to bless people as they go. And they are really just there to, to be the pastors, right, of the place. Then there are the temple guards. And this is kind of cool because I always wondered, I always thought to myself, what kind of main economy is going around here? Like, how do they pay people? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, all these different things. And then I was like, hey, temple guards, they get paid too. Um, but the temple guards, their whole entire point of them is this, is to protect the temple treasury. That's, that's it. That there is money that's coming in, that there is lots of valuable stuff in the temple, and we're going to guard it. And then there's the captain of the temple guards who uh, walk around with the Sadducees. And whenever you come across this word um, in your reading of the, of, the, uh, of the Bible, just remember that these Sadducees are pretty sad, you see. Um, and so they, there's nothing good that really ever comes about them. Um, and so, but this is something that's really cool is these guys are mainly worried about all the power that they can get. They use the Mosaic Law to keep people down. 
whenever they read Deuteronomy, they think that they're better than everybody else to say, hey, you're not doing this correctly. We're going to enforce this law upon you. In fact, actually, they mainly did it because they wanted as much praise from Rome as they possibly could. They wanted to keep the peace among people, and that's how they did it, by interpreting the law and saying, hey, this is what the law says, and so you need to follow this. What I love about this chunk of people is that these are the exact same people who plotted to kill Jesus. This isn't that far after Jesus died, right? We've, we've looked at it going, maybe this is six months after at the very furthest and maybe uh, three months at maybe the earliest, even maybe a couple months at the earliest. Nothing has changed. The, the power structure in this temple hasn't changed. The people who um, are sitting in front of James and Peter are the exact same people that wanted to kill Jesus and got a whole entire city to say yes to it. I can imagine what Peter and John are thinking at this very moment. Like this is the same people that were already persecuting Jesus. And so they come along and they, they come to arrest them. Tell them, hey, you're not right in saying these correct things. And so as um, at, as leaders of this temple, what do they do? They, they are trying to intimidate, and so they put them in jail. Hey, it's much too late to do a trial, even though that's really funny that they did a trial with Jesus through the evening uh, just months earlier. But now they're sitting there going, nope, we, let's, let's handle this good. And so they put them in jail, hoping to um, keep them from uh, talking or continuing on. But I love this part. Is you, you might throw people in jail, but it doesn't make the truth any less real. Because what happens, despite them sending Peter and John to jail, that day, more than 2,000 people came to Christ. They effectively in one day doubled their numbers. Not because they were amazing people or we already talked about this uh, in verse 3 or in chapter 3 last week. Because it's not about Peter and John. It's about the power of Jesus Christ working with them and the Holy Spirit doing miraculous things in them. And people notice The worldly power that these three, the priests, the temple guards, and the Sadducees don't have much to make these men have fear. They simply preached the gospel. And if you haven't heard me say this multiple times in the last couple of weeks, here's the gospel in the quickest nutshell I can tell you is that humanity's greatest problem is that in our sin against God, we are separated from him and we are under his wrath. But God's salvation for, God's solution for us is that for us to believe in his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a righteous life and paid the full penalty for our sins. In our place, 
and we will one day be resurrected just as he, just as he was because the very power that resurrected him is given to us when we believe in him. That's the gospel that they're walking around talking about. And people are responding to this. And it is bothering the worldly power that is around. And so what happens in, let's read verse 5 through 7. It says this, that the next day the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and, the rel and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded them, by what power or in whose name have you done this? In other translations, if some of you have a different translation, it says the next day the Sanhedrin met to talk. And the Sanhedrin basically is a group of 70 people, the priests, the Sadducees, the temple guards, and the high priests are coming together. And they're very curious about this group of people that they named. If you, uh, are, are, if you haven't uh, read this, this is my idea of the Jewish mafia right here. Right? If there was a group of people that could move things and scare people, it is this group. In fact, actually, you probably haven't heard the name Annas before this, but you have heard the name Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the high priest that um, kind of took Jesus in and kind of started those trials. Uh, here's the deal. Annas is just Caiaphas' father-in-law. So, and John is Annas' other son. And Alexander is Annas' grandson. And other relatives of the high priest are all there. I mean, this is the mob, right? This is like, hey, you mess with us, you, you get the whole family. And so the whole point is, is that they are coming together to intimidate They are coming there to say, if you mess up, this is what's going to happen to you. You have gone against our system. I don't know if you've ever been in a position like that where you know you need to step up for the truth and you know that people are not going to be happy with you. You've probably been in situations in which people say, don't mess with me. Do you know who I am? And they think the power is all on their side. And so their whole entire intent and purpose is to come in front of John and Peter and intimidate them and remind them about the traditions of what they're supposed to be doing to keep things going the way they are. Don't ripple the waters. We have a good thing going on here. And later on, we see that they coerce them into, into doing what they want them to do. But they ask a question of Peter and John, and this is what they say. By what power or in whose name have you done this? Really, what they want to know is what is your resume and what are your credentials to be able to do this? There's a whole entire, if you, uh, there, there is a... Not a whole entire, but there is a law that connects right with this. That the reason why they're asking this, and it's found in Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5. And it says this, 
So suppose there are prophets among you or those who dream dreams about the future and they promise you signs or miracles and the predicted signs or miracles occur. If they then say, come, let us worship other gods, gods you have not known before, do not listen to them. The Lord your God is testing you to see if you truly love him with all your heart and soul. Serve only the Lord your God with fear and him alone. Obey his commands, listen to his voice and cling to him. The false prophets or visionaries who try to lead you astray must be put to death, for they encourage rebellion against the Lord your God who redeemed you from slavery and brought you out of the land of Egypt. This is so key. He, I'm just going to put you in this and I in this. Who redeemed you from slavery to sin and brought you out of the curse and the wrath that God had on you. Since they try to lead you astray from the way of the Lord, your God commands you to live. You must put them to death. In this way, you will purge the evil from among you. The whole entire point is they are coming from this and they're going, if you don't answer this question correctly, we have every right to kill you. Now, I don't know about you, but um, Peter doesn't have a good track record. Uh, just in this very court alone, about probably three months ago, <laughs> he completely denied to everybody in that court that he even knew Jesus. Before that, he did so many things while he was with Jesus that Jesus would say things like, get, the, get behind me, Satan. Right? He would say things that would stir up and be just dumb. And so now you've got Peter who's standing right in front of the exact same people who were plotting to kill Jesus. And Peter is not Jesus. I'm telling you, Peter is not Jesus. He's not the Son of God. He is not the Messiah. But what Peter has is unbelievable. And it's found in verse 8 through 12. And let's read it together. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because you've done a good deed for, crippled, for a crippled man? By the way, this very first thing right here makes me think about Jesus right away because they, he answers a question with a question, right? This is pretty cool, okay? So this is how you know that Peter's probably not Peter because he probably would have said something stupid earlier. Okay, do you want to know who he, how he was healed, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The first thing is this, is that Peter answers the question by being filled with the Holy Spirit first. And so he says, by what power do you guys ask that this guy is healed? By the power of Jesus Christ. I think like a little bit of what Brian said a couple weeks ago, I think the reason why probably I don't see tons of healing in my life is because I probably want all the glory. I'm probably the person that goes, can you, can you see what just came out of my hands? Right? 
but he gives all glory to Jesus and he says, the power is Jesus Christ. It's not me. It's not in my prayer even. It's the power of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, the man you crucified, but he gives power to him because he says, you killed him, but God raised him. And then he says, and then he answers, by whose name? By whose name are you doing this in? And he once again goes back to Jesus, but he answers it in the complete word of God found in, found in Psalms 118, verse 22. The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Jesus is the one that you guys have been looking for all this time. That's whose name. Not a rabbi, not some person that you guys think is the high priest, not Caiaphas. I haven't been following him. I haven't been learning all of these things because exactly what they're saying is, is, is by saying that question, whose power and by whose name, what they're saying is, is we have all the power and we haven't given it to you. And so, man, you don't have any ability. And he goes back and he says, no, it is the power of Jesus Christ. It is in the name of Jesus Christ because he is the salvation. And there's no other name by which they can be saved. Not by all you 70 people and not by you Jewish mafia people. And I can think of it this way. Um, I, I think of him just going to Caiaphas and slapping him right in the face and say, beat that, buddy, right? Mic drop, everything. He just goes back and he goes, you can't, you have no power. You can't kill me now because guess what? This is the Lord, our God. You have, you have no ability to have any power over me. Effectively, the divine power through Paul, or through Peter, defeats the earthly power that all of those people in that room thought they had. And Jesus could have done that when he was there. But Jesus had a different way of dealing with them by going to the cross and dying for our sins. And so now, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Peter has the ability to show the divine power that Jesus had all along to say, you don't have any power. And so, how do these people respond to this? Verses 13 through 15. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men and with no special training in the scripture. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. There was nothing that the council could say. They couldn't even ask another question. Hey, you guys were with Jesus. We remember you now. What I think is unbelievable is that when they talk to each other, so, oh, sorry, I forgot verse 15. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John because they were unschooled people. There was nothing special about them. 
Basically what they're saying is, is they, they just debated us really well and they just gave us a huge philosophy lesson on what God has been teaching us through the scripture this whole entire time. They've connected Jesus with all of the scriptures. And yeah, Peter and John absolutely know the Mosaic law. They're Jewish children. They know by heart the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But it is the idea of debating and being able to put it all together and to say, no, Jesus connects it all. That, had, that was amazing. They had no argument also because there was proof. My kids have been going around this week um, and there's one phrase that they've been using over and over again in our house, and that is, uh, that is, the, uh, that is the phrase, prove it, right? So Silas will do something, and he come, and then Noah will come and be like, hey, Dad, Silas did this, and Silas will be like, prove it, right? Like, <laughs> oh, I should have never taken him to that movie. <clears throat> but uh, they use this phrase because, man, this, this guy is standing right in front of them. What? Do they have to be able to say? Because they've already debated them with philosophy and being unschooled and saying, look, it's Jesus. They could say prove it, but they already have. The man is standing right there in front of them and it makes them look like fools. And so when they all leave in verses 16 through 18, this is what they say to each other. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. Jerusalem's a big place, y'all. And everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. I, I absolutely love how idiotic they look right now. They, in this moment right here, they are saying, okay, well, since we can't do anything, let's just reprimand them. Let's just give them a slap on the hand and go, hey, would you just please not talk about Jesus? Have you, have you ever had in your life anybody come up to you and say, seriously, I'm sick and tired of you talking about Jesus? I, I can't say that I have, but I also have the badge of pastor and so people expect it. Um, but their, their thought to squelch all of this is, okay, we see that you're right. Let's just not talk about it anymore. Let, let's, just not, let, let's just sweep it under the rug because we want everything to stay the, exactly the same as it is. And then they think to themselves going, okay, that's how we'll solve this. It'll be okay if we just tell them not to talk about it. And so they bring them back in. Hey, just, just don't talk about Jesus anymore. That, that causes a problem for us. When you talk about Jesus, people get healed. When you talk about Jesus, people see that there is power in his name when they start following him and they're not following us. When you talk about Jesus, people's lives change and we can't have that. And so they tell Peter and James, John, 
Don't talk about it. Peter and John both respond. Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We've already shown you that divine power is way more powerful than your power. Do you honestly think that God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Here's the problem. I look at that scripture well, for me, <laughs> and now I'm going to go into a little bit of application for me is how many things do I obey over God? How many things do I put in my life over God? The fact that I can list off to you about 10 TV shows means that I've spent a lot of time watching TV I don't know if I'm proud of that. But do you honestly think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. We can't stop, we won't stop, and effectively what they're saying is Christ or nothing. Christ or your judgment upon my life. Christ or hell. That's effectively what they're saying. We would rather have Christ over anything else. And so we're not going to stop talking about him. And then in verse 21 and 22, the council then threatened them further one more time. But they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Jesus had been with them for years healing people and they were following him and, and this group of people were able to get the ma to get Jerusalem to kill Jesus but now after seeing healing through the power of Jesus's name they wouldn't stop praising God and they could not and they did not want to start a riot I find it interesting that the rest of the book continues on that they constantly threaten them over and over again they constantly tell them, stop talking about Jesus. And it never stops. And we're going to read more and more into that as, as it comes along. But even in the midst of being threatened, no, we're not going to stop. That day, this is what I think. That day that they, that, that day that John and Peter were standing in front of all those people. They saw Jesus, not two men. When, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we begin to act and live like Jesus acted. When we have the word inside of us, we are connected with God. 
And the very thing that we always wanted, the very thing that we need is to be more like Jesus happens because of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's, that's what I want. I want to look like Jesus, not like Seth Runner. I want to have scripture so ingrained in me that when somebody says, oh yeah, that Jesus guy, I go, no, you, you don't understand this about Jesus. And so if you want to write down a couple application points in there, you can in your notes. There's a couple things that shouldn't surprise us about this. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, you're going to have tribulation when you follow Jesus. John 15, 18-20 says, hey, here's the deal. When you follow me, you will have trials. And when that time comes, this is what I hope we as believers have. That we are so into God's word that we continually are with God's people, that we're smothered in prayer and we answer by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we do those things, I think we will see miraculous signs and wonders all around us. And we, just like the people at the very end, will be praising God and looking at it going, can you believe God did this? I've been watching that person for many, many years struggle. And God did it all, not me. I'm going to ask the worship band to come up and we're going to sing our last song is Great Are You, Lord. And as you do that, uh, would you just spend time with God? Asking him where you need God's word in your life more. What people you need to surround yourself with. Pray that he would fill you with his Holy Spirit so that at any moment, at any time, when people go, what are you doing? You can continually point back to Jesus Christ over and over again and say, that, that's who has the power. And that's in whose name I live my life for. And then I'll have Brian come and close us in prayer. I've never, um, I've never actually seen The Godfather but while Seth was talking at the beginning, I just, I just thought, you come here on this day of the Sabbath. It's cheesy. Um, I, I think, I think the song, the song was, was so perfect, so perfect, because we, we talked on Friday at, at Secret Church about uh, if your prayer life is really horrible, it's probably because you don't think you need God to do anything. You're never bringing anything to God because you think you've got it handled. And, I, and then I think like, how many of us, when we breathe in, realize that God's giving us that breath? And so when we breathe out, we should be praising him in all that we do. But I think like, I work, I diet, I breathe, I bought my house, I pay my bills, I cook my food, I raise my kids, I schedule, I plan. I, 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 I. But when they retell the story of Peter, it says, then Peter, 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it goes on. So I thought of myself in McDonald's. Um, <laughs> they have a parfait at McDonald's. They really do. And um, Wednesdays is my day to go with my daughter to, to McDonald's and she likes to have the yogurt with fruit and stuff in it. And I thought like, I, I can't say parfait at McDonald's. I say, can I have the yogurt thing? And they're, and they're like, do you mean the parfait? I'm like, do you have anything else that's like that? No, you don't. Like, you know what I'm talking about. Don't make me say parfait at McDonald's. But if someone was to repeat that, would they say, then Brian, through the power of the Holy Spirit, said parfait. <laughs> no, they would not. Do we not praise God because we don't think he deserves it? Do we carry on on our daily lives, in our work, in our school, through with our friends as we drive, and do we think that we have it handled? We got it. We're the one that found that job. We applied, we you know, worked for it. We, we're the one that, that made the deal on the house and we, we got that. We're the one that, that decided to walk across and go talk to that person and, and share Jesus with them. Like we take credit for so many things. And so the goal this week, the goal this week, I didn't talk to Seth about this though. See how many people in Glasgow we can anger and they'll say, just stop talking about Jesus. Shouldn't that be the goal in our life? To have people mad and saying, can you just stop? I've only had a couple people say that in my life. And it wasn't fun. But that should be our goal. Let's go this week and let's see how many people by next week we can make mad because of how much we talk about Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, you give us every breath, but somehow we try to take credit for everything. And so Lord, I pray that, that in my heart, in our hearts, that you can show us everything that you give us, everything that you do for us, and all these little things that you do throughout the entire day because you care so much. You are continuing to pursue us, and we just, we just need to breathe out your praises. Lord, may we give you credit let us stop lying about who gets credit for the things in our lives and let's really point to the creator, the almighty, the savior, the maker of love, the definer of grace, the almighty forgiver. Lord, may we point to you. In your holy name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at glasgowec.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.